the way that people use search and the way that search sends traffic to websites is going to change. Uh, I think that's, you know, that that's undisputed at this point. But the, the question is, of course, in what ways and, and sort of how do we prepare for that as we as we are thinking about SEO and especially for, for clients. And so I'll say I coined, but I, I don't know, I, I've been using this term dark search. Um, and I sort of borrowed that idea from the, the idea of dark social, which is this you know, this concept in, in sort of social media marketing, which is that like, it's very hard to attribute social marketing because there's sort of all of these like unattributable mentions and, you know, essentially word of mouth that's happening through social. And it's very hard to, to measure and capture the value that you're creating through, through social media. And I think that SEO, we're sort of entering a similar era. Um, and the reason why I say that, right, is because so many queries are now going to essentially answer the question immediately. And so there will be zero clicks, meaning that we won't be able to see the traffic, but there can still be an impact from appearing in that. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I'm your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search right now. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Tyler Hakes. Tyler is the founder of Optimus, a content marketing and SEO agency focused on startups and growth stage businesses. Tyler has worked with a number of incredible startups like Sendbird, Submittable, and HelloSign. And before that, Tyler built an incredible organic search channel at a startup called College Raptor. I know that Tyler has a number of interesting thoughts on the changing SEO landscape, building topical relevance and authority, and scaling organic search channels. I'm excited to unpack all of that today with him on our episode. This episode of the Optimize podcast is brought to you by Positional. At Positional, we're building tools for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a great selection of tools for everything from content optimization to keyword research and technical SEO. And you can visit our website at positional.com. Hey, Tyler, thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Hey, Nate. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. Uh, thanks thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, and I just want to say before we start this, I love your Twitter. I, I find that I'm getting you know at least five or 10 awesome talking points each week just by following you on Twitter. And so there's a lot for us to unpack here today just from your tweet feed. Everything from AI and dark search to building topical relevance and search intent. And so we have a lot to cover and I really appreciate you coming on. I'm always torn on Twitter. I go back and forth between like taking it seriously and like not taking it seriously. So I'm, I'm glad to hear people do get value out of it when I when I try. <laughs> yeah, whatever you're doing, keep doing it, at least for me. But before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd love to learn like, how did you get into content marketing and SEO? Like, how did this ultimately become your career path? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've found out over the years that I have actually a pretty common story. So I studied journalism at the University of Iowa. And, you know, I've, I've always been pretty good at writing and I enjoyed writing. But what I realized was, you know, I was about to graduate from the J school and I, I realized that newspaper writers and journalists were making about $19,000 a year coming out of college. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it did not look like the most lucrative career path at the time for me. And so, you know, luckily I was able to, to kind of take some of the skills and, and some of my writing uh, abilities, I guess, and kind of apply those to the world of marketing. And it was kind of, you know, I wouldn't say the early days, but but maybe the, the heyday of, of sort of content marketing and SEO and, and so many companies really figuring out uh, how to do this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, man, I, uh, I got a job right out of college working at a, a consulting firm. 
in the, the higher education space. I was, you know, the lowest person on the totem pole in the marketing team, basically. And I helped kind of build their content marketing strategy. And I turned into kind of the internal subject matter expert on SEO. And and so, yeah, that was sort of the, the starting point for my career. And from there, I just kind of worked my way through other agencies. I did a little bit of in-house work in corporate insurance. I, I lived in Des Moines at the time. So you know, you have to, you have to work in insurance at some point. If you live in Des Moines, Iowa, that's uh, that's the rule. <laughs> and then I, I found my way to, to college Raptor, the background there just for, for the audience is college Raptor was a, a venture funded startup based in, in Iowa, founded by a, a guy I actually interned with when I was in, in college, uh, Bill, Bill Stibe and Nate, I think that's, you know, that's kind of how we got connected to was maybe through like mutual, mutual board members or investors or one of the, something, something along those lines. And yeah, and that was really, you know, I would say that was sort of like the first real test of everything that I've learned. We were doing content marketing and SEO work for, you know, I don't know, local businesses and all kinds of different stuff at these other agencies. But, you know, the venture game is, is sort of a totally different beast. And, and basically, you know, the job that I got tasked with was figure out how to build a content and SEO strategy to get us 2 million users <laughs> starting from scratch. And so, you know, the, the, the stakes are a lot higher when you're, you're talking about spending, you know, spending other people's money and, and all that stuff. And so we really sort of just dove headfirst in. I, I obviously, like I said, I knew a lot of content marketing and, and that kind of stuff coming into it, but I really had to, to sharpen my skills and really study, you know, what was working at sort of that level of being able to scale from zero to a million. And so ultimately, you know, we, we figured out a lot of things that worked really well there, really built what I consider to be sort of a, a pretty solid framework around how to make content marketing work from a, a business perspective and really rapidly scale traffic and, and conversions and that kind of stuff. And and ultimately we did scale from, from zero to a million users in just over a year working at, at College Raptor. So that was sort of my first taste of the startup world. And I guess, although I, I tell people that I burned out, I do content marketing and SEO for dozens of startups. So, <laughs> Yeah, you and I got connected back in uh, 2015, I believe. And I'd spent about like four months in Iowa. And if you know anything about like the Iowa uh, tech ecosystem, it's, uh, it's very connected. And you and I got connected through those and similar investors, I believe in like our company and, and, and also College Raptor. And that was right around the same time, like we were both thinking about content marketing. And very early on, like in our business, content marketing became like a really important channel. And I know at College Raptor, it did too. And so going back to like 2015 and 16, I remember sharing notes with you and in some sense, watching what you were doing, at least trying to learn like how we could keep up in some sense, I know we weren't directly competitive, but uh, we always took inspiration from the work you were doing back in like 2015 and 2016. And I think you guys did a fantastic job at scaling that channel. But I know since then you've, you've shifted and now started your own agency. So what made you shift from like being an in-house contributor to wanting to go out and, and start an agency and work with like a large number of uh, individual startups? Honestly, I, I left College Raptor after about two years. I sort of joke about this, but I, I was I was pretty burned out. You know, I mean, the, the startup life is is a grind, as as you know, Nate. You know, I, and I was you know work, working eighty hours a week and sort of on call at all times. And you know, we had developers overseas, and so you know, midnight calls all the time, and just a lot of craziness. And so. I, you know, I just decided that I needed to take some time to kind of figure out what I, what I wanted to do next and, and how I wanted to, to spend my time. And so I actually started freelancing uh, originally when I, when I first left College Raptor and I, I would work uh, with these companies. A lot of them were, were startups, you know, or even just like bootstrap ventures and stuff. And they would hire me to do, you know, sort of a part of content marketing. And what I realized really quickly was that they didn't, they never had sort of the full picture, right? So they would hire me to write content, but there was really nobody building a strategy or they would hire me to build a strategy, but they didn't have good enough writers to actually rank for the, the keywords that I would suggest and, and things like that. And so what I realized pretty quickly was that most of these companies, and, and again, a lot of them were sort of early stage startups, you know, bootstrapped 
uh, tech companies and stuff like that was that they really needed like a content marketing team, you know, a, a, b folks to really run the program from start to finish and really put all the pieces together to actually drive business results rather than just cranking out blog posts or, you know, doing keyword research. And so that's really how Optimus started was I, I realized that there seemed to be like this need. And, and so I, I created Optimist with that vision that we would be sort of a, a content marketing team in a box that's really focused on growth stage companies. How do we help you, you know, stand up that channel and really scale it as rapidly as possible to, to make it work from a, a business perspective? Yeah. And I, I want to get into the nitty gritty. And, uh, and I know on Twitter recently, you've, you've tweeted a few times about like AI and dark search. And I had never heard that term before. So when you say like AI and dark search, what do you mean? And where is search going? Like what what can I take from like AI and dark search? Yeah, man, we're, we, so we're at a, uh, a very interesting time right now in SEO, right? So obviously uh, if, you're, if you're watching this, this uh, or listening to this podcast, then you are probably very aware of everything that's happening with AI and chat GPT. Um, and so the latest big development has been Google and, uh, and the beta rollout of, of what they're calling uh, Search Generative Experience, SGE. That's the, the version of Google where at the top of the results, there's an AI-generated snippet, essentially, that tries to answer the query that somebody types in. And so, of course, a lot of people are prophesizing that this is the death of SEO. Uh, everything's the death of SEO, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the, there's no doubt that it's going to have a profound impact on the work that we do, right? Because the, the way that people use search and the way that search sends traffic to websites is going to change. Uh, I think that's, you know, that, that's undisputed at this point. But the, the question is, of course, in what ways and, and sort of how do we prepare for that as we as we are thinking about SEO and especially for, for clients. And so I'll say I coined, but I, I don't know, I, I've been using this term dark search. Um, and I sort of borrowed that idea from the, the idea of dark social, which is this, you know, this concept in, in sort of social media marketing, which is that like, it's very hard to attribute social marketing because there's sort of all of these like unattributable mentions and, you know, essentially word of mouth that's happening through social. And it's very hard to, to measure and capture the value that you're creating through, through social media. And I think that SEO, we're sort of entering a similar era. Um, and, and the reason why I say that, right, is because so many queries are now going to essentially answer the question immediately. And so there will be zero clicks, meaning that we won't be able to see the traffic, but there can still be an impact from appearing in that search result, right? So for instance, if you type in the best content marketing agency and Google spits out a list of the best content marketing agencies and Optimus is on that list, I may never see that in my analytics, but there's some value there that we now need to learn how to capture. <laughs> and so that's where it gets tricky, right? Is, is how, how do you capture that? And, and, and I, I don't know the answers yet, but, uh, but I think that's what we're, we're going to be, be learning together here in the next couple of months. Yeah. And people have been saying SEO is dead since like I first started learning about SEO. So it hasn't died just yet. I guess it's been like nine or so years. So it could die in 2024. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but I, I agree with you. I think like search is changing. Like the new experience to me feels like expanded featured snippets. Um, like you and I have been trying to optimize for featured snippets for the last six years. And there are a lot of different ways that you can do that. And so now like what I'm thinking about with, with my own sites is like, how can I optimize the placement of my site into one of these new generative 
type experiences. Do you know how to do it? Like, how should we be thinking about it? Is, is there a way that we can like optimize the placement of our sites into these new experience boxes? That's a great question. The short answer is no. I don't. I don't know for sure yet. Uh, but I do actually have some. Some interestingly, I just published. If you happen to check my Twitter today, Nate, you, you may have seen. I, I just published a, a bit of a thread. So I've been you know closely following beta of of the SGE has started to, to roll out for for folks who signed up for that. Um, and so there's been a lot of speculation. A lot of people have been digging in and, and sharing you know their experiences and what they've learned. Just to go back to your point really quick, I think that SEO as we have sort of traditionally thought of it is definitely changing. A lot of people are using the term AEO, which is like answer engine optimization. So so to your point, yeah, how do I show up in that in that snippet that gets generated? So, so again, there, there's no, there's no like 100% consensus on exactly what that's going to look like or the best practices. But I do have a couple pieces of, of potential speculation. One is that we're seeing already that the links that are provided as sort of citations or, or attribution in those snippets are not the top three results. For instance, it's generally something that's sort of deeper in the search results. And it seems to be correlated with this idea of topical authority. So sites, you know, for instance, if you search for a hiking, you know, something about hiking, the sites that that appear as the links in the 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 snippet tend to be, you know, sites that are specifically about hiking rather than a New York Times article about hiking, for instance. And so, you know, part of my speculation there is that, you know, this idea of topical authority, which I think we're gonna get into in, in a bit, is going to become even more prevalent, right? Because Google ultimately has to figure out who is an authority on this topic and who should we trust if we're going to generate a, res a response and feed it back to the user. We have to know that that's a correct and valid piece of information, right? And so so there's there's that's a difficult thing to to achieve. When you say topical authority, what what does that mean? What does it mean to to build topical authority? Like how do you build it at, at least today in 2023 maybe with the new search experience aside. Yeah, I, I don't think that topical authority is going to change a whole lot, but you know, it, it's, you know, topical authority is just to be transparent is, is a bit of like a speculative thing. I, I believe, I don't know that there's any like sort of actual hard evidence that, that this is a, truly a thing, but, but essentially the, the speculation has always been, or, or has been for, for several years that Google tends to favor sites that have sort of a narrower focus or at least have a, a significant number of pages uh, that are related to the same topic. And so just to you know, give you an example about that, right? If I have a bunch of domain authority on my site and it's all about content marketing, I shouldn't be able to just publish an article tomorrow about cooking and rank because I have a bunch of links pointing to my site and because it's you know just generally a high authority site. And so the, the way that Google sort of figures that out is by saying like, okay, you have a bunch of different pages about content marketing. You are generally an authority on content marketing and other related topics to that, that topic. And so the, the way that you build authority is that you create more pages generally on related topics and sort of connect those generally, you know, internal linking that, you know, sort of the general best practices to signal to Google, hey, look, we didn't just write one article about content marketing. We're actually experts on this because we have all of these different pages that talk about this topic. A hundred percent. Whenever I'm talking with like um, a potential customer or a startup founder who's who's building their blog from scratch, I always say to them like, the long-term goal should be to have a piece of content on every keyword or question in your your niche or your category um, as a way to show Google like you are that expert source of information about this topic. And on the flip side, I've actually experienced losing topical authority and relevance um, as part of like building our websites. You might remember when we started Lend.edu, at the time it was like a student loans focused website. And so like every piece of content on our site was about student loans. 
Uh, but then we eventually expanded into all sorts of things like home equity loans and pet insurance and investment accounts. And over time, like student loans only represented, let's say 10 or 20% of the content that was on our website. And so we actually found that our website ranked worse uh, in the student loan focused topics as we went and expanded into all of these new verticals. And so the traffic to our website was increasing, but the traffic to our student loans related pages was actually decreasing. And that was like the most valuable part of our business at the time. And so like it was a scenario where like the traffic to our website was going up, but like the actual dollars we were making was going down because as we lost that topical relevance and topical authority in terms of being like the best student loans focused site, uh, I think Google was trying to figure out, okay, like what is this website actually the best at? That's a mistake like I'll see startups make with their blogs. Like they'll have many different types of topics about many different things. And to Google, it's like pretty confusing. Like what is your website actually about? And as far as like, you know, building backlinks goes, is building backlinks a way that you can improve topical relevance or authority? Or do you see like topical relevance as like a content thing and not necessarily like a backlink related endeavor? No, I definitely think they're related. Authority is sort of an overarching, you know, theme here. And then it sort of breaks down into different components is the way that I think about it at least. And so, you know, one thing that matters overall is sort of your overall website authority, which generally is correlated with, with links or referring domains. But then I think, you know, within that, you can sort of hone more targeted authority around specific topics. There's really sort of two sides of that. One of them is the content and the, the stuff that you actually have on your site that, that sort of signals that authority. But the other piece of it is also those, those links that you are generating and, and how relevant are they? Where are they coming from? what are those sources talking about, right? So if you have a bunch of, you know, again, going back to that, that example, right? If you're lending to you and you have a bunch of links pointing from a cooking website, Google probably doesn't really understand why those links exist. And there, there's likely something that's happening in the algorithm there that sort of devalues those links in some way, or at least doesn't pass authority in the same way as they would if they were from other sites talking about loans and, and that sort of related topics. Yeah, speaking of backlinks, do backlinks almost become more important now with this new search landscape and experience with, you know, those different positions, but also like the massive increase in AI generated content and Google trying to like cut through the noise in terms of like, what is actually a helpful piece of content? Do you think that like backlinks are going to become more or less important from here? And is that something that you're like working on or thinking about with your clients? I mean, I've always considered backlinks to be fairly important, but I've, I've generally used them as more of like a tactical tool, uh, at least at this point in my career, you know, and when I say a tactical tool, what I mean is, hey, we currently rank position three, you know, we're trying to get to position one, let's try to build a couple links to this specific page. I probably think that, you know, volume of links likely decreases in importance is my is my speculation here. Um, and, and again, the, the reason why I say that is because I think the majority of results are going to have some kind of AI generated snippet that appears at the top. Those results are generally going to be powered by these sites that so far we've seen have been generally correlated with topical authority rather than sort of sheer domain authority. And so, I mean, I think they'll, they'll be as, you know, they will still be important for sure. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think that it will, it'll be less like sort of a, a perpetual arms race to just have more links. And I think it will be, you know, sort of more equally split between building that topical authority and building links. Uh, they'll be more maybe on a, a level playing field. And then as far as content creation goes, I think between the two of us, we've spent into the seven figures on content 
creation over like the last nine or 10 years and content it's it's not cheap it's gotten more expensive over time i think too but like with the popularity of these ai tool sets you can create content a lot faster and at a much lower cost than maybe you could have a few years ago in terms of like ai generated content like are you using it should i be using it how are you thinking about like AI generated content as part of the content production process? We are not using AI right now to generate actual content for clients. We are using AI in sort of uh, experimental ways throughout our workflow. So things like creating briefs, building outlines, uh, you know, sort of the, the ancillary tasks that go into content creation. And, and our goal is basically, you know, how do we how do we kind of make the job as easy as possible for our writers to create the, the content? So I think you know, you can replace a content team with AI. There's no doubt about it. I don't think that the the content is at the same quality, of course. I think there's just a lot of challenges that, that still exist there. And the, the other interesting thing about using AI is that perhaps counterintuitively, what we found is that it can be rather tedious. Things that seem simple can become tedious when you're trying to move wholesale pieces of content from the, an AI tool into like a, a doc and, you know, format everything correctly. And just, you know, just the, the things that seem simple become, become sort of uh, laborious. So uh, that's another challenge that we're dealing with right now. I think that AI will get there ultimately, or, or will get, you know, continue to get better, no doubt. So we'll kind of keep a pulse on that. And to whatever extent we can, I mean, I have nothing against using AI to write content. It's just, it's not the level that we need it to be at this moment. Yeah, neither do I. Like, I'm certainly not like the anti-AI guy. Um, I think there's definitely a place for it. I think the sites that I've seen use AI really effectively, like are using it as a supplement. So they're still like adding that human touch. They're still sourcing appropriately and fact checking. And it's like they have, you know, actual experts as part of that process and not just blindly copying and pasting 2000 articles from ChatGPT, which I have seen startups do as well with moderate success. I think it'll be interesting to see like, you know, where we go from here. I think low quality content is something that Google's been dealing with since they first started and like going back to like 2012 2013 there were like the panda updates around like spun content and large amounts of low quality content so it's not like low quality or even ai generated content is actually as new as i think it may appear to be yeah i think the bar for that low quality content has just been raised right i think that's ultimately what what's happened here is that you know, Google has is going to have to sort of raise its filter, so to speak, in terms of what is sort of an acceptable level of quality in response to all of the, the AI generated content. So I, I don't really think it's changed anything except for it's, you know, it's made it more challenging to create content that's sort of worthy of, of ranking. And another thing that I want to touch on is the idea of eat, right? So, so like expertise uh, and authority and, and all that stuff. I always forget the acronym and what, what all the letters mean, but trustworthiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Google, Google has been talking about this forever. Uh, they've been, you know, saying that they're using it in all these ways. It's, it's become sort of a joke, I think, in, in the SEO circles uh, because it's like so there's so many blatant examples of like, you know, very clearly not authority websites ranking for topics that they should not be ranking for. But I think it has to become a, a serious factor here because like you just mentioned, right, any schmuck can can spin up a million articles about, I don't know, health, your health or food or content marketing, whatever the topic is, right, with AI and make it pretty convincing, you know, reasonably convincing to an average reader. And so how does Google then figure out which of that content is good enough to then surface on the, on the search results or even use in a generated response that Google itself is feeding back to the user? Like they don't want to just feed random misinformation to people. Uh, so so they, they have to be able to somehow filter that out. And so I think that's where we're going to see 
an increased focus on this idea of eat. I don't know exactly what that looks like or, or if it's, you know, the current version of eat or some new version of it or, or what, but I think there's, there's some filter there that's going to exist. Yeah. It always amazes me when some of the startups we talk to don't have like author profiles or even a byline on a piece of content. And I think that's like a, a single, like small example of like, if a piece of content is generated by AI, but someone's still willing to attach their name to it as like a licensed physician or attorney, then like they're putting their reputation onto that piece of content. And whether they wrote it themselves or used AI as part of that creation process, there's someone for Google to like hold accountable in some sense as like the author of that piece. I think personally eat is, is only going to get like more important, but I also just think it's helpful for like readers coming to your website, like whether it's helpful for Google or not, like I don't know, but I think for like a reader, like when they come to your site and see that like, you know, Nate is an expert in this topic and here's his credentials and here's like an about page and a terms of service for this website. I think all of that information is just actually helpful for a reader and might improve like the time on page and scroll depth and bounce rate and all of those other things that Google does look at in terms of like judging the quality of a piece of content. Like core web vitals, I think people tend to obsess too much overeat, but I think there are some, you know, boilerplate best practices that all sites should incorporate as part of their strategy. I was just going to say, I think that at the end of the day, when we talk about SEO and, you know, is SEO dead and how's SEO going to change? It's always, every time that there's been a change, it's always come back to that, right? Like what creates the best possible experience for the user and how, how can Google, you know, algorithmically figure that out? And, and that's usually where, where we lead to. So I think any, anytime we think about this, you know, we think like, okay, if Google rolls it out and it does this, like that will suck for the user. Then I would expect that Google is going to figure out some way to solve that. I mean, obviously they have legions of incredibly intelligent engineers working on these problems every day. I, I don't think they're just going to roll out something that's like, oh, now it's the wild west and anybody can write on any topic with AI and rank number one overnight. Like that, that's, if anything, that's a short-term hack, but it's never going to work in the long term. is my expectation. And fact check me on this if I'm wrong, um, but I remember Google saying that there will be certain industries, maybe like your money, your life, like websites in the finance or health verticals where this new generative AI experience is going to roll out like in a much slower way or or not to be rolled out at all. Is that what you've heard? Am I right in that, that there are certain industries where these these changes may take a lot more time to eventually like impact the SERPs? Yeah, I've also heard similar stuff and I've, I've actually seen thread from someone where they went through just a bunch of different searches and a bunch of different like industries and, and different, you know, search intents and, and things. It was like, you know, 70, 30, probably, you know, 70% had some kind of a, an AI snippet, 30% didn't. Uh, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent clear what the, the pattern was there, but I definitely think Google is, is sort of using, exercising some caution there on, on when and how they roll those out. Um, the other interesting thing too, is that they seem to be collecting user preference data. So there's some results where it will say it will offer you an option to generate uh, a, a snippet, but it doesn't generate automatically. And so I think, you know, in that case, what they're basically doing is sort of testing, like, do users want a snippet here or would they rather just like click into a link? Um, and so, I, you know, I think there's a lot of testing that's still happening, to be honest. And, and I don't think that the current version of SGE is what goes live is my personal opinion. Yeah, it definitely makes sense that they will exercise, I would say, extreme or, or extra caution around your money, your life, anything like that, where 
you know, it just opens them up to all kinds of, you know, lawsuits and misinformation issues and, and things like that. So <laughs> the last thing they want is someone Googling like cures for heart disease. And then their generative AI response is from Bob's heart disease blog. But, but you mentioned uh, search intent. So what is search intent? Like, how are you thinking about search intent when planning like the content calendars and the content for your clients? I think this is a, a an area where where folks, you know, I would say especially sort of less experienced SEO people tend to struggle. And so, you know, search, search intent is basically just like sort of how has Google categorized a particular query is the way that I think about it, you know, based on what they expect the user wants. So, for instance, if you search for podcasting tools, probably you want a list of tools. Whereas if you search for how to start a podcast, you probably want an article that tells you how to do that thing, right? And so, you know, a lot of people make a mistake in this in that they, they try to sort of swim upstream against the search intent, right? They say, hey, podcast tools, I want to rank number one for that. So I'm going to write an article, you know, about how great our podcast tool is. Well, if your content, if your page that you're trying to rank doesn't match, doesn't look like all the other pages that rank, your chances of ranking are very low. And so I think that's, uh, again, a, a challenge that a lot of folks have with, with, with SEO right out of the gate is that they just look at the keyword. They don't look at what actually ranks or, or think too much about why someone is searching for that. They just think, I'm going to create a blog. We're going to target this keyword and we're just going to you know use that keyword 20 times and we'll rank. Interested to get your thoughts on this, Nate. I don't know how search intent changes in sort of this AI world, right? Because I think the, the way that people search for things is going to be also radically different, right? We, we think about keywords and, and that's even sort of an antiquated idea at this point. But the, the, the fact is, is that if Google is more conversational, then people are going to use more conversational prompts or queries, right? Rather than, you know, Nike shoes or whatever, they might search for something, you know, very specific. What, which Nike shoes should I buy to do X, Y, and Z or whatever. And so that search intent, I think becomes more nuanced. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts here. My first thought is that Google has gotten increasingly good at identifying search intent over the years. Um, like back in like 2015 and 2016, like you used to be able to write like a 6,000 word mega guide and rank it for like 25 different primary terms instead of actually going and creating 25 different articles, which I think is probably the better approach in a lot of industries in 2023, aligning like a more specific article to that exact intent versus trying to use like a mega guide to rank for all of those keywords. So I think Google's gotten much better at like delivering a piece of content to that specific intent. I do think you're right that keyword research, like a big mistake we'll see like our customers make is they'll get a list of keywords, but then they won't actually go to the SERPs and see like what's our ranking for a given keyword. Um, and so I always remind them to do that as part of like the outlining and brief briefing process. I actually talked with a, with a guest on an earlier episode who had a really interesting approach to doing keyword research and actually identifying search intent uh, for a given keyword. His name was Akash. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Windly. They've They've grown their blog in the health space to over 100,000 visitors per month over a period of like 15 months. So they've done like an amazing job at building their content strategy and they've used no keyword research tools. And so I asked them like, how did you like pick the topics to write about? And they actually started with like a video first approach. Uh, so they were creating all of these videos for TikTok um, and they would get a sense for like what was going viral on TikTok. And if a certain video generated like X number of views within a specific period that gave them a signal that 
they should go and write a piece of blog content about that specific topic. And so they've essentially built a blog that gets 100,000 readers per month without doing keyword research, which I think is pretty amazing. But they've, I think, identified these different intents in another sort, in a way, without using a tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush or our tool set. So I think as like the search experience changes, I think maybe getting a little bit more creative in terms of like how you actually identify what to write about and how to write about it. Maybe it's using video on TikTok. I'm not sure. But I thought that was a really interesting approach that I had not heard before. I do want to get your thoughts on strategy or maybe like uh, KPIs. And, and when you're working with a client, like a question I always get asked is like, how long does it take to actually go and build a content marketing and SEO channel? Like, can I do it in two months? Can I do it in six months? Like, how long does it actually take from like start to finish to go out and build like a meaningful organic search channel, either for your clients or in your past experience? Like how long does it take? So I'll, let, me be, let me be a marketer for a second and say it depends because that's obviously a big part, of, a big, big caveat here. The most important, the most important thing there is like where they're starting from. So, you know, did they just register this domain yesterday and we're starting literally from zero? Have they been around for a while, but they just haven't really invested in it? That's gonna you know play play a big role. But what I always tell clients is is pretty much the same thing. Is that like within two or three months we should have clear data that shows that it's working, that it's growing. Now it's not necessarily gonna be through the roof if after two months, right? Uh, but there's clear there's a clear pattern of growth in terms of the traffic and, and things that we're seeing. And and again, generally that's two three months. Usually six months to a year is where we we start to see some of the compounding returns really really starting to to escalate, and we see more of a, an exponential growth curve. So uh, again, you know, depending on if you're starting at zero or you're starting at a thousand or whatever it is, that's going to dictate sort of the the trajectory that that you see from a a growth perspective. But yeah, I would say you know for most of our clients six to eight, eight to 12 months, somewhere in that range will, you know, it, it's sort of a, a, a defensible strategy at that point for, for most, you know, from a business perspective, there's a million caveats I can include here, but I'll just say, you know, that that's a pretty standard benchmark for, for ours in our experience. I know that was a tough, tough and broad question. All good. No, all good. And then another tough and broad question, but a question I always get asked is how much does it cost? Like how much does it cost to go and build an organic search strategy, whether you're doing it internally or working with an agency, like what should like a startup be budgeting for this channel over the next like 12 to 24 months if they're serious about it and they know that could become an important channel for them? I would say six figures for sure. So for us, you know, a standard engagement for us, you know, is about 10 grand a month. And, you know, keeping in mind that that's really like sort of a, a full service team. So if you're really sort of investing and you're going all in in this idea of content marketing and you want, you know, what I consider to be a top-notch team, you know, in terms of, you know, executing that and, and running everything from, from strategy to, to writing and that kind of stuff, of course you can do it in a leaner fashion. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can cut costs and, and save money from that. But when you really think about all the moving parts that go into content marketing, right? You've got SEO, you got content strategy, you've got writing, you've got design, you've got, you know, just loading content into the CMS. Then you've got to think about, you know, link building, promotion, all of these ancillary things, right? And so I think that's where Honestly, I think a lot of companies hurt themselves and get sort of jaded about content marketing is that they try to take it the cheapest route possible. There's missing pieces in the, the puzzle and then they're trying to figure out why isn't this working for my company? And it's like, well, because you only wanted to spend $50 an article and you didn't have anybody doing strategy and you, <laughs> like you, you, you're risking all these pieces. So I, I think, we're, I, I think our, 
our price point, you know, while, you know, slightly on the higher side, you know, 10 grand a month is pretty reasonable when you think about it. It's, you know, a single full-time employee salary you know, at, at, in most companies. And if you, you know, if you're really going to build your team, a lot of our clients, you know, they work with us for a couple of years and then they ultimately build their own in-house team. And you're talking, you know, three, four, five full-time salaries in a lot of cases. Now you're talking about a million dollars. Uh, a year in some cases. So yeah, if it's okay with you, I'd like to transition into a, a rapid fire round. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I've learned a thing or two so far, and, and I know our readers have too. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to ask you like five or six, like rapid fire questions. Quick response is great. Does that sound good? I'll do my best. So what's one thing that you see content marketers or SEO teams spending time on every week or once a month? That's just a total waste of time and and not something worth doing. I think people spend way too much time on uh, what I consider to be sort of like uh, optimizing like antiquated ranking factors, right? So things like alt text or meta description, stuff like that, where people you know sort of agonize over trying to like perfect them. Now, don't get me wrong, they are important to do, but you know, in, in our workflow, at least it's sort of a minor point rather than a, a major thing that we're, we're investing a ton of time in. Does it ever make sense to buy backlinks in 2023? Like, should should I be buying backlinks? Probably not. Most sites that you that would sell you a backlink are generally not sites that you want a backlink from. I know there's been a lot of talk that like Google is going to lose its monopoly status in terms of search, and it might not be a very good business model going forward. Do you think that like Google is at risk of like losing its dominance in search as that go-to search engine for most people? I think it will see a, an erosion in market share. I think it will probably still be the dominant player, but uh, it will, you know, it's been at what, like 98% or like 94% or something insane like that. I think it, it becomes more of like a 60% kind of situation where people are using a broader variety of tools. Uh, I don't know that Bing is necessarily going to see a huge surge, but I think, you know, chat GPT, other things that, you know, people are going to have conversations with rather than using a traditional search. And as far as tooling goes, what's your favorite tool in the SEO space? What tool are you using most often? Is there a tool that like our listeners should be using too? Ahrefs uh, is always my go-to. I mean, I've been using Ahrefs, you know, basically since I started in this space or since it started, <laughs> however long ago that was. So that's probably the tool I spend the most time in. One other tool that I'll give a shout out to is uh, Keyword Insights. That's a, a really cool tool. And, and, you know, we were talking about sort of search intent and, and sort of thinking about all that stuff. Uh, basically what it does is it sort of groups together keywords or it does a lot of different things, but that's the way that we use it. So, you know, basically it helps you determine things like search intent and also, you know, which terms are related and which terms are sort of their own query and things like that. So it's so really helpful for us. Tyler, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I really enjoyed doing this with you. And like I've mentioned, you've got a lot of interesting things to say on Twitter, on the daily, and I've been following you at Yes Optimist on Twitter. Um, but outside of Twitter, how can our listeners get in touch with you? How can they connect with you if they're interested in becoming a client or working with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can actually find me personally on Twitter at Tyler Hakes. And then I would love for folks, if you're interested to join our free community. So we run a, a community. It's about 2000 marketing folks. So mostly content and SEO people. Uh, and it's called Top of the Funnel. You can find that at yesoptimist.com slash tofu, T-O-F-U. It's a free Slack community. We host all kinds of live sessions, workshops, and, and really cool stuff inside there. So yeah, we'd love, love to have people join us. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. You'll get a backlink from us when we publish this podcast on our website. So at a minimum, you'll get that. But for all the listeners, I'd highly recommend connecting with Tyler either on Twitter or LinkedIn. He knows more about content marketing SEO than than uh, most do. And I, I've really learned a lot from him over the years. Um, and I really appreciate him coming on. Thanks so much, Tyler.
This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized, and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what Positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional, and I'd love for you to check it out. 